0: Hey fam, it's Patrick. I am so excited to announce that we have just released all four episodes of our first ever spinoff podcast called Obsessed with Abducted in Plain Sight. I am so, so, so excited for you to hear episode one right here, right now. This podcast has been a labor of love, a year in the making, so I am so thrilled to finally get to share it with you. When you're done with this episode, I would love it if you would immediately go and download and binge the rest of the series on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Or wherever you're listening right now. I don't want to tell you too much more, you guys, but if you love it, please tell all your friends to check it out. And that's it. Go forth and listen. My name is Patrick Hines. I'm the co-host of True Crime Obsessed Podcast, a podcast where we recap true crime documentaries. And because of that, I am always asked, what's your favorite documentary you've ever covered? Or what's the craziest, most insane, unbelievable documentary you've ever seen? And my answer for both is always the same. Abducted in Plain Sight. If you've never seen Abducted in Plain Sight, first of all, what are you even doing with your life? I ask lovingly. Second of all, it's spoiler time. Abducted in Plain Sight tells the story of 12-year-old Jan Broberg and her family, who were all meticulously groomed by their next-door neighbor and close family friend, Bob Birchtold.
1: B was like a second father to me. I completely loved him, completely trusted him, and felt extremely safe, I felt like I was one of his children. Birchtold,
0: a pedophile father of five, was completely obsessed with 12-year-old Jan and would stop at nothing to have her for himself.
1: And he had to drill that into our minds. He kidnapped her. She's your daughter. She's gone. And the twists
0: just keep on coming, you guys. To get close to Jan, Birchtold has an affair with Jan's mom.
1: But I remember the way it made me feel. I got uh... Quite hot, <laughs> maybe hot flashes. And I thought, oh my, I can't feel this way about him.
0: And then a sexual encounter or two with Jan's dad.
1: We were laughing, and he said, oh, Bob, it's just kid stuff. I did the worst thing I've ever done as far as breaking the trust, the fidelity. That I had with my
0: wife. He kidnaps Jen a second time and then convinces her that the two of them are on a quest to save a dying alien planet.
1: I had been informed by the aliens, Zeta and Zethra were their names, that I actually was part alien. My mother was my biological mother, but my father wasn't actually my biological father. I had a father from this alien planet.
0: I know, right? I first heard of Abducted in Plain Sight in October of 2018. The film's director, Sky Borgman, sent us an email saying the movie was about to drop on Netflix, and she thought it would make a great fit for True Crime Obsessed. So we watched the movie as soon as it came out, and we, along with everybody else in the world it seemed, were in utter shock and disbelief. We knew it was perfect for TCO, and to this day, it remains our most listened to episode. A few months later, I got to meet Sky in person at CrimeCon in New Orleans. We'd kept in touch over email and had become friendly. And so one perfect, rainy New Orleans night, we found ourselves at a French Quarter bar, and we got to talking about the movie. Sky told me all the stories that hadn't made the film's final cut. I asked how Jan was adjusting to her sudden fame, and I got to ask her about Jan's parents. Her parents! What had they been thinking? The more we talked, the more I knew there was more story to tell. And so I pitched to Sky the idea of a podcast. This podcast, where she could revisit the film that had set the internet ablaze with memes and tweets and a general sense of what the hell. And so here we are, in my podcast studio in New York City, ready to have this conversation, share some clips you've never heard before, and answer those burning questions. Hey, Sky. Hi, how are you? I'm good. It's so good to see you. It's
2: good to see you, too. I'm excited to be sitting down and doing this when we hatched this plan. (laughs) It was was kind of a pipe dream, and now here we are. I
0: know, I know. I'm still as obsessed with your movie as I ever was.
2: Well, I, I understand that a lot of people still are. I still get emails. I still get messages about people just asking all sorts of questions.
0: Yeah. So it's one year since the movie premiered on Netflix. Why do you think right now is when made the most sense for us to sit down and do this?
2: Well, I think because it's still in the public consciousness, people are still like I got an email yesterday asking a question. And I keep getting these emails. So it's not something it's it's like a slow burn with a lot of people, they're still talking about it. And I definitely feel like since the film has come out since the initial reaction has happened we have been able by talking about it to kind of change people's perspective on how child abuse can happen and so i think yeah. a year after it's also really interesting to kind of hear about where jan is at and where we're all kind of at and and what's happening with the film
0: yeah so the the idea for this podcast was to check in with jan yep. see how she's doing so we sat down with jan you did this long interview with her mm-hmm. and she had a lot of really interesting stuff to say about how her life has changed sort of the world's reaction to her parents. We kind of really pushed her on her dad a little bit and asked some questions that I think you've been getting for a long time. The idea was also to share clips from the film that you had to leave out, really insane plot lines with Birch told the kidnapper. So we got a lot to talk about.
2: I know. There were a lot of deleted scenes and... My editor and I, James Cood, we spent a lot of of tearing our hair out, talking about scenes to leave in, to take out, you know, trying different things with things in, without them. We had these experts, you know, Diana Concanon and Paula Foss, who we had cut in at one point, and then they all ended up coming out. But they had fascinating stuff that informed our perspective on the whole story. So they were still, even though they don't appear in the documentary, the information that they gave us was just instrumental to helping us understand. And and there's some other crazy scenes that just didn't quite make the cut. And so that's what, you know, getting some perspective, looking at deleted scenes, and just kind of checking in with Jan and how we all are. I mean, that's that's the reason for the podcast. Yeah,
0: alright. The first thing I want to ask you about is one of the things that really brings the film to life are these audio tapes of Birch told the eventual kidnapper, talking into a tape recorder or something. It's sort of narrating his day and the world around him.
1: This little girl can't do, I thought. How lucky I am to be a part of her life. We returned to the hotel, went to the coffee shop and had lunch. Holding one hand, we ate, looking into each other's eyes. How good life is. Returning to our room, I again held her in my arms and we slept.
2: Yeah, when we found the audio tapes with his voice, it was... It was critical because we were having a a hard time kind of at that point establishing who this person was. We had a handful of photographs. And so when we were able to get those tapes, it was like this person all of a sudden became a three-dimensional real human being and and it was really such a great way to kind of express who this person was and we had to do very little i mean just play the tapes and it's, right. it's i mean the voices <laughs> sort of tells you everything
0: can you explain we're going to hear a lot of those tapes can you explain how you got them
2: yeah, so they were part they were part of the FBI case, and so we were able to acquire those tapes and and a lot of court documents and it was really we learned so much we'd done our initial interviews before we were able to get these documents, and so once we got these documents, we spent weeks reading the court transcripts, listening to the tapes, um, scanning everything, you know, so we would have it so we could do word searches to find things later because there was probably two to 3,000 pages worth of documents that we scanned. And then also transcribing the tapes because they were, some of them, shorter and longer so we were transcribing those so we could go back and search and find things that we were looking for.
0: I think you described them as audio journals or whatever. Like he just walked around with a tape recorder recording his own thoughts.
2: I guess that's what he did. We don't really know and that's the thing. So I sort of came up With this word audio journal, because that's what they struck me as, where. I imagine him sort of walking around with a recorder and talking into it and he did that with Jan and and there were even times where we had some tapes with Marianne and with Gail talking in this sort of journal way and you know we have to remember that tape players if, for those of you who know what tape players are <laughs> <laughs> in the 70s they they were this new cool thing i mean i remember when we had we got a tape player at home and we would listen to music on that it was it was great and it was something that wasn't a record player yeah. and so it was something thing that was new and I think he really introduced it to a lot of people in his life and and used that as therapy and I think he used it as a writing tool as well. So,
0: one of the things we did was we sat down with Jan and you did this really long interview in this really hot <laughs> recording yes, studio yes. in LA in the middle of July or whatever. And Jan told us some great stuff and we're going to get to a lot of it. One of the things that Jan told us that really stood out to me was the moment in Jan's own life that she realized that by sharing her story she could really do some good in the world. Let's take a listen to that clip and then we'll talk about it.
1: All of a sudden the news broke that Elizabeth Smart had been found and they were interviewing people on the streets of Salt Lake and I remember their different answers to oh have you heard the news? Elizabeth Smart's been found and, and I'm looking at the pictures of her and I knew exactly what had happened to her. I knew I knew her. And this one lady that said oh i think this is ridiculous didn't she see all the posters i mean she was right down here in downtown salt lake why didn't she run in the street and start screaming i was like i know why she didn't run in the street and start screaming i know why she wouldn't have turned around and lifted up the little veil if her mom had been standing behind her in one of the bookstores or the grocery store or wherever they were well, I know what it feels like to keep a secret. I know what it feels like to keep a secret because I'm trying to protect you know, my family members. I know what it feels like to be manipulated into believing something that isn't true, but in order to survive, you you literally, not only do you believe it, but you take it on completely in order to kind of be a different person to get through this period of time. I knew what all of those, like splitting your, your own personality, felt like. And that's what it looked like. The moment I saw those images and those eyes and her face, I'm like, I know exactly what she was experiencing that kept her quiet. So at that moment, when I had that epiphany, I said to my mom, mom, we should write this into like a book. We should really write our story into a book.
0: To be able to look at Elizabeth Smart and say, nobody in the world gets it, but I get it. Jan had been living with her story at that point for how long?
2: Oh, at that point. I mean, she was probably in her... 40s at this point, you know. Yeah. And so she'd been living with her story for 30, 30 years. And and I think it was also a really empowering moment for her, too, to realize that she had a voice she, and could do something with it and could help try to get out there and educate and let people know what she had been through, what her parents had been through and the complexities of that. Yeah, And she's also just so gracious and loving and funny. And yeah. I mean, like, that's so incredible to me because, you kind of expect she would she would be a little bit different that she would be sort of you know really protective of herself but she isn't
0: yeah well so what one, one of the things that we were talking to jan about was her process of you know once you have that revelation of like wow we could really do some good by telling this story how do we do that and jan told us this great story about sitting down with her mom marianne and her mom really being the person who sort of took the dictation and sort of wrote the story for jan
2: yeah well it's funny too because a lot of the story Jan didn't know. You know, all of the the side from her parents' perspective, like Jan was gone. She was kidnapped for all of that. And then there was also a lot that she just didn't remember. You know, the trauma brought in these sort of black spots for her. And so for her and her mom to kind of sit down and Karen, too, Karen was a huge voice. Her sister. Her sister. Yeah. In remembering things. And even to this day, like everybody kind of depends on Karen's memory as being the most accurate and her memory is incredible. But Jan and her mom sat down and they kind of filled in the blanks for each other in a lot of ways and Jan learned a lot from sitting down and talking to her mom and Marianne learned a lot from sitting down and talking to Jan
0: yeah and it was you know Jan described it as a really sort of cathartic experience for both of them let's hear what Jan had to say about that
2: talk a little bit more about how you worked with her how you talked about things how how the stories kind of got put together
1: yeah I really was able to be so um candid in the moment with my mom that i could you know while we would talk you know if i was having a breakdown and needing to you know cry it out or scream it out or whatever i needed to do there it was such a supportive environment with with my mom always that i could do that i could i could have every emotion you know from one end of the spectrum to the other from you know rage and anger to you know just sadness i lost these these you know these precious childhood years where you're developing you know so many in so many different ways in you know middle school and junior high school and into high school and you know it was like all those emotions. My mother just knew how to care for me. She just knew how to listen. And those are the things that I that I think, oh my gosh, I was so lucky to have that. And so for me, with her, there was just always this safety. That she continually never tried to defend herself or any of that. It was just like, okay, well, we let's talk about that. And I, I just can't, I can't express how much, you know, that was such a, a important part of my own. my own healing is to have a mother that just listened.
2: you know, listening to that, it it, it breaks your heart, but you also, I mean, I also hear, I think, a lot of a lot of guilt in Jan's answer with that too in sort of bringing this tsunami into her family's life of having abducted in plain sight on Netflix, getting all the attention that it gets. And, yeah. and this, I don't know, just listening back to that, I just heard this remorse and this guilt, and I think that's what brought on a lot of those tears is that she truly does love her mom, and I think she just feels like... I don't know, like she's brought this incredibly sort of negative thing into their lives.
0: It's interesting. Episode three is all about Jan's parents. That's yeah. a, in, in the family, but but mostly about Jan's parents. And she talks a lot about the guilt that she feels, you know, and everybody coming out of the woodwork saying like, how could you do this? Bob and Marianne are the best people we know. But what ended up being a really good thing about the movie coming out. So we'll get to that in episode three. I wanted to talk to you at this point about your job as the filmmaker was to sort of gain the family's trust and get them to tell you a story that you kind of already know. How did you manage that?
2: It's it's one of the most complicated things I think about about documentary filmmaking, that that a lot of times you don't really see. It's not part of the film, and and how you sort of come in and and gain trust in both directions. You know, how are they trusting you? How are you trusting them? And and with the Brobergs, I mean, they're they're just inherently very trusting, very generous people from from the beginning. And so they they welcomed us in. I mean, Jan was huge. She was a huge catalyst in that as well. So we had met Jan. We talked to Jan about making her story into a documentary, and she started to feel good about us as filmmakers. And then she talked to her family and and made sure that everybody was ready for this and on board. I don't know that they quite knew exactly what it was going to end up being because it was an independent film to begin with. But she talked to them and she said, you know, we I really trust these people. And I, I think it would be great to tell this story. And her her family has always been on board for that, for talking about it, for telling the story, for getting it out there. And I think throughout the years, they've gotten more able to talk about everything and it takes time because they hadn't talked about certain things in the book that they wrote and and they were more able to talk about them now but it's, you know, I mean we showed up we, we were three women that walked into the room with this family and we just talked and we cooked together and we made cookies together and we did all the things you do when you're visiting friends and ate dinner and Bob played the piano and we played with Susan's kids and it was just, it's a really nice environment and then the next day we launched into brutal 10 hour long interviews
0: How much of the story did you know going in
2: Yeah it's interesting because because this documentary started because of a book. like We had a little bit of a step forward, right? We had a certain chronology of events, but because everything wasn't in the book, there were certainly things that we discovered in the documentary interview process. Mostly we knew about the kidnapping and everything, but it's also a really interesting thing. Memory is interesting, I think, and it was always constantly plaguing me how interesting memory is throughout the making of this documentary, because I know for myself personally, I've been able to tell myself, Just a slight little variation of what the truth is to make me feel a little bit better about something. (laughs) And then you tell it and it alters more and more and more and more until that becomes your truth. And I don't think that the Brobergs ever lied, but I do know that they were telling themselves as stories or going out and doing public speaking events and where that story became the only narrative. Right. Yeah. And so I think having us come in and say, you know, what about this? And what about this? And sort of questioning them on that narrative really opened them up to be able to think about different facets of this story. And so that was a really fascinating journey that we kind of took together. And then once we got the court transcripts, it was really even better because then we could sort of put the stories next to each other and say, oh, well, in these court transcripts, it says this. And a lot of times Marianne was like, oh, my gosh, I completely forgot Uh that that had happened. And so it was we were able to sort of remind her of things. And once she kind of had that just this little nugget of reminder, she was able to remember certain stories.
0: I wanted to ask you about the telling of this story, because, you know, it's one of those films where just when you think another crazy thing can't happen, it does. So how was it for you to live in the world of this film for all of the years it took you to make?
2: Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's something that is certainly what we as documentary filmmakers have to think about is self care and, and what that means. And how do you be sort of truthful to the story? How do you have perspective? And how do you also take care of yourself? So it was tricky. I mean, we ended up taking breaks at certain points in time when it just got to be a little bit too much. And we just didn't want to live in this darkness anymore. But I mean, luckily, you know, we have the opportunity to to sort of extract ourselves from it. Jan didn't. You know, and that's something that you have to keep sort of, you know, that's constantly there is like what your responsibility is to this story, to this person, to this entire family.
0: All right. So last question for this episode. The movie was out under a different name for about a year and then Netflix bought it and it premiered on Netflix and then just exploded. Did you see that coming?
2: I didn't see it coming. I I was certainly hoping that our message could get out there, that Jan's story could get out there, um, and that people could see it and that it could change people's lives. Um, What happened when it premiered on Netflix in January of 2019 is it was a little bit of a slow burn. You know, people saw it, and then people really started talking about it. And I think a big reason they started talking about it was they just couldn't understand. They were so confused by it. And there was a lot of blame that went out towards the parents And I think people just really started to latch onto that and talk about that. So it's been out in the world. A lot of people have seen it. I hope that the people who have seen it sort of take something away from it that they at this point in their life or somewhere down the road sort of helps them in a situation. That was the point behind it and that it got out there to as many people as it has is really good for getting the message out there.
0: Obsessed with Abducted in Plain Sight is a four-part podcast series that takes you behind the scenes of the smash hit documentary and shares brand new stories, interviews, and deleted scenes from the film. And you guys, all four episodes are available to binge right now. Episode two is called The Kidnapper and His Family. In that episode, we share a completely insane plotline that didn't make it into the film. We hear truly shocking, never-before-heard tape recovered by the FBI of the kidnapper himself, And Jan reads part of an unpublished manuscript written by the kidnapper Robert Birchtold about his affair with her mother. Episode three is called Jan and her parents. In that episode, we get real about Bob and Marianne Broberg. We ask what is their share of the blame for what happened to Jan. We hear new interview clips from both of Jan's parents about their emotional and sexual encounters with their daughter's kidnapper. And we get a new story from Jan's dad who truly believes that Birchtold once tried to kill him. In episode four, we go behind the scenes with producer-director Sky Borgman and editor James Cood to learn how Abducted in Plain Sight developed from a scrappy, independent film to a worldwide phenomenon. If you're enjoying the podcast, we would love it if you would take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really does help other people find our show. You can watch Abducted in Plain Sight on Netflix, Amazon Prime, or any other streaming platform. To learn more about Sky and her production company, Top Knot Films, visit Topnotfilms.com. If you're looking for more great podcasts, and who isn't, you can find all the podcasts we make at ObsessedNetwork.com.